I'd like to invite you this evening to turn with me in God's Word to the Gospel of Luke. Luke chapter 22 this evening, beginning in verse 7, which can be found on page 1048 of your pew Bibles. Luke 22, verse 7 through verse 20. And we'll read God's Word under the heading of Nourished in the Gospel Promise. Nourished in the Gospel Promise from Luke chapter 22. Then afterwards we turn in our Heidelberg Catechism to Lord's Day 28. Let's read God's Word from Luke 22 beginning in verse 7. Then came the day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. And so Jesus sent Peter and John saying, Go and prepare the Passover for us that we may eat of it. They said to him, Where will you have us prepare it? And he said to them, Behold, when you have entered the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him into the house that he enters and tell the master of the house, Teacher says to you, Where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room furnished. Prepare it there. And they went and they found it just as he had told them and they prepared the Passover. And when the hour came, he reclined at table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you that I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup And when he had given thanks, he said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise the cup, after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. But behold, the hand of him who betrays me is with me on the table. For the Son of Man goes as it has been determined, but woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. And they began to question one another which of them it could be who was going to do this. Here ends the reading of God's Word this evening. And let's turn also to our Heidelberg Catechism and our forms and prayers in the pew in front of you to Lord's Day 28, which can be found on page 230. Lord's Day 28 on page 230. And fair warning, this is the longest question and answer in the whole Heidelberg Catechism. We'll do our best to read along together. Beginning in question 75. How does the Holy Supper remind and assure you that you share in Christ one sacrifice on the cross and in all His benefits? Together we say, in this way, Christ has commanded me and all believers to eat this broken bread and to drink this cup in remembrance of Him. With this command come these promises. First, as surely as I see with my eyes, the bread of the Lord broken for me, and the cup shared with me, so surely His body was offered and broken for me, and His blood poured out for me on the cross. 
Second, as surely as I receive from the hand of Him who serves, and taste with my mouth the bread and cup of the Lord, given me as sure signs of Christ's body and blood, so surely He nourishes and refreshes my soul for eternal life with His crucified body and poured out blood. Question 76. What does it mean to eat the crucified body of Christ and to drink His poured out blood? It means to accept with a believing heart the entire suffering and death of Christ and in this way to receive forgiveness of sins and eternal life. But it means more. Through the Holy Spirit, who lives both in Christ and in us, we are united more and more to Christ's blessed body. And so, although He is in heaven and we are on earth, we are flesh of His flesh and bone of His bone, and we forever live on and are governed by one Spirit as the members of our body are by one soul. Question 77 on the next page. Where does Christ promise to nourish and refresh believers with His body and blood as surely as they eat this broken bread and drink this cup? In the institution of the Lord's Supper, the Lord Jesus on the night when He was betrayed took bread and when He had given thanks, He broke it and said, Take, eat, this is My body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of Me. In the same way also He took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in My blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of Me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. This promise is repeated by Paul in these words, the cup of blessing that we bless. Is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. Well, blessed congregation, here is a truth to which we can all say Amen. As human beings, we love to eat. We get up early in the morning and we have a breakfast filled with protein and coffee and it gives us strength for the day. In the evening, after a long day's work in the office with the kids or in the field, a nourishing meal is so satisfying to the body. Accompany it maybe with a glass of wine, water, or milk, and it refreshes us for the evening ahead. Jesus knows that we need provision for our bodies. And so He richly provides for us our daily bread. Yet this evening, and for three Lord's Days, 
The Catechism wants to draw your attention to the fact that you not only need nourishment of body, but that you also need nourishment for your souls. And when we consider the context of Luke chapter 22, isn't this exactly why Jesus institutes the Lord's Supper when He does? We'll see in just a few moments that Jesus was at pains to have the Lord's Supper with them. Even to the point of secretly organizing a place where He and His disciples could partake the Passover and receive the Lord's Supper. He fervently desires, says the passage, to take the Lord's Supper because it was the very nourishment and refreshment that His disciples needed in their moment of weakness. Consider what they were about to face. I read those extra few verses. Behold, the hand of Him who will betray Me is at the table. Judas was about to betray Him. The disciples will be tested. Their Lord will be arrested. Falsely accused. Beaten and crucified. They need to be strong in the faith to withstand this trial. They need to be built up strong in their spirits. And so He gives them what their souls need. He gives them a sign of their complete redemption in Him. Congregation, in the same way Jesus knows the challenges that we face, how often do we pray, Lord, keep us from the world, the flesh, and the devil. Jesus knows that our faith is so attacked that Satan is present in this world six days a week preaching to you from his pulpit. And Satan is not this cutesy Halloween costume with red horns and a trident. He is our sworn enemy. He wants the Lord Jesus dead. He wants you and I dead. And Jesus knows this. And so the Catechism emphasizes that Christ gives you what you need to be able to withstand the trials. He gives us the sign of redemption. Our Catechism will devote three whole Lord's Days to the subject of the Lord's Supper. Lord's Day 28, if you have it open, will be concerned with the teaching about the true teaching, I should say, of the Lord's Supper. Lord's Day 29 is about Christ's presence in the Lord's Supper. And Lord's Day 30 is about who should come to the Lord's Supper. And it gives quite a bit of detail, as we just read, about this subject. Three whole Lord's Days, many words spent on this subject, because it is not a subject of little importance. And in fact, in the 16th century, I don't think it's an overstatement to say that this was the most hotly debated subject of their day. And it wasn't just a debate between the Reformed and the Catholic. 
But it was a debate between the Protestants, the Reformed and the Lutheran. It was a debate between the Reformed and the Reformed. Between Calvin and Zwingli. And Calvin and Zwingli and Luther. And Calvin and Zwingli and Luther and the Pope. There was tons of issues regarding this subject. And there are still misunderstandings today. There are those who hold the Lord's Supper far above baptism. Far above the preaching of the Word. And we dare not come to the Lord's table. The flip side is that there are those who see it as so low and so earthly that it holds little value beyond a memorial or a funeral service. You see, God's people need to be reminded that Christ wants you strong. He wants you to be nourished. He wants you to be refreshed in Him. And that Jesus gave the nourishment and refreshing, notice what the catechism says, for you. Christ wants to commune with you. And so our theme for our time to get together this evening is that Jesus gives His disciples a sign of their complete redemption. Jesus gives His disciples a sign of their complete redemption. I want to show you this in three movements this evening. The sign of the supper, what the supper points to, and reaching the destination of the supper. That's the sign of the supper, what it points to, and reaching the destination. But the first thing that I want to draw your attention to this evening is the fact that the Lord's Supper is a sign. If you read through the Bible, you will find that our God is a God of signs. And when we talk about the sacraments, if you flip back to question 66 in your catechism, we often refer to them as signs and seals. But it may be wise for us to pause at the beginning of our discussion on the Lord's Supper and ask, well, what does it mean that it's a sign? What does it mean that the Lord's Supper is a sign? Well, the word sign here means sign. I know I just knocked your socks off. But I'm serious. This isn't hyper-theological language. The Lord's Supper is something visible for your eyes to see. To help you understand the Gospel. By way of example, I'm new to the Grand Rapids area. I would be hopeless without road signs. You all know where you're going. I don't. But a sign helps lead us, helps point us to where we're supposed to go. And in Luke 22, the evangelist records two signs. The sign of the Passover, the Old Testament sign, and the sign of the New Testament, the Lord's Supper. Now all four Gospels record that the New Testament sign, the Lord's Supper, was given the same night of the Passover. And so, we see Jesus is coming here in His Passion Week to the city of Jerusalem. It is Thursday, the day before Good Friday. 
the day before he will be crucified, and he says in verse 8 to his disciples, then came the day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. And he sends Peter and John into the city of Jerusalem to look for a place to host the meal. We read, beginning in verse 8 and onwards, that they needed to get everything needed. They needed to get the bitter herbs. They needed to get the unleavened bread. But most importantly, to the Passover sign, they needed to get a lamb. You see, when God made His promise to Abraham in Genesis 15, that His children would be as numerous as the sand on the seashore, and as numerous as the stars in the sky, did you know that in that same passage, He promised that His children would be in bondage for 400 years? It's there in Genesis 15, verse 13. I will give your descendants the world, is God saying in Genesis 15. But they will be in bondage. But in verse 14, He promises deliverance. That for 400 years they would be in bondage. But God promised deliverance. And so we read in the book of Exodus, beginning in chapter 1, the people of God are crying out, Deliver us, Lord! Deliver us from Pharaoh! Deliver us from bondage! And so God sends Moses to go to Pharaoh and after the hail and the locusts and the frogs and the blood, Pharaoh still wouldn't let his people go. And so God, in Exodus chapter 12, He tells Moses to go into the midst of Egypt and tell Pharaoh that every firstborn in the nation would die if he didn't let God's people go. The problem was that God's people also lived in Egypt. And the provision God made for His own people in judgment was that the night of the Passover, that they would take a lamb, they would shed its blood, and they would paint its blood upon the doorposts of their house. And it says that God would come and He would see the blood and He would pass over the house and that they would be spared judgment. The Passover is about salvation. It's about redemption. It was a sign that God is for His people. That He would save them that He would deliver them as He promised to Abraham in Genesis 15. But it wasn't just a sign for the people of old, but it was a sign to go on throughout the generations. Exodus 12, beginning in verse 14-20, to tells us that the Passover was to be celebrated throughout future generations. That God's people need to be reminded of His deliverance. And so every year, the families of Israel would take a lamb. They would shed its blood. They would eat that lamb. And the head of the household would instruct his children as to how God saves 
His people. If you look back at our catechism, question 28. Signs are given to us to remind us. This is seen in the Passover. The people needed a sign of His deliverance. A sign of what God had done in the past so that they could be reminded of His salvation. Passover was that first sign of nourishment in God's promise. But the problem with the Passover is that it was a sign of incomplete redemption. See, it would point our minds back to Israel, back to the shed blood of the Lamb, would point our minds back to their exodus, but they also needed to look forward to their complete redemption. In other words, the Passover was a sign of incomplete redemption. A sign of what God would do in the past, but it was a sign that more redemption was needed in the true Passover lamb. And so you think, here in the sandals of Peter and John, they're going through the city with thousands of other families looking for a place to celebrate the Passover. And Jesus says to them, Behold, when you have entered the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him into the house that he enters and tell the master of the house, the teacher says to you. Which I think is intimating that Jesus has set this up. He knows who this man is. He knows where the guest room is. Where is the guest room that I may eat the Passover with my disciples? Then if you fast forward, they're reclining at table. The disciples are sitting around the Passover observing, being reminded of God's redemption in Israel. They're consuming the Passover meal. They're thinking about what God has done, how they've been spared from the wrath of God of old. Redemption from the land of slavery. They were set free and Jesus holds up the bread and He gives them a new sign of redemption. Look at verse 19. He took the bread and when He had given thanks, He broke it. That's the essence of the sign. It's included in all four Gospels. It is the sign of the body given for you. Verse 20, the same thing with the cup. My blood poured out for you. Again, God is giving visible, tangible signs to His people. See, this is something we need to get straight about the Lord's Supper. God is giving you a sign. Physical. Visible. To assist you in your faith. Notice what the Catechism says. As surely as I see with my eyes the bread of the Lord broken for me and the cup shared with me. As surely as I receive with from the hand, excuse me, of him who serves, and taste with my mouth the bread and cup 
of the Lord, given to me as sure signs of Christ's body and blood. What's being done at the communion table, Thomas Watson, the Puritan writer, says, is you're being, it's an illustrated sermon. It's a visible proclamation of the death of Christ. Of complete redemption. See it. Touch it. Feel it. Smell the fermented wine. Taste it. And what you're tasting is the Gospel. The Gospel made manifest. So when the pastor holds up the bread, do you see it? You take it in your hands and you taste it with your mouth. What Jesus is teaching us here is that this is a physical expression of the Gospel. It's a sign to the church of what Jesus has done. I want you to notice something about question 75 here this morning, this evening. Is it a request to go to the Lord's table? I've used this example before. Is Jesus hosting you for a meal and saying, would you like some dessert afterwards? And it's optional, yes or no? Notice how the catechism phrases it. Christ has commanded me and all believers. We may not dodge this command. He's not asking you if you're interested to come and receive it. He is saying, for the good of your faith, take, eat, drink, and believe upon Christ. It's a physical sign of the Gospel of Jesus. Now it's very important that we don't stop here that it's just a sign. See, it's not merely a sign but it is first a sign. Once when I was a young boy, we had a pastor who said to me, she said we should, it was a female pastor, the Free Methodist Church of Canada, she said, I think we should wear black when we come to the Lord's table. Because it's a funeral. Where we're commemorating the death of Christ. It's a memorial service. A funeral service. But that's not what the Bible teaches at all. In fact, the Bible teaches us that it's so much more than a funeral service, but that it points us to the cross of Jesus Christ and His resurrection. See, John Chrysostom, the ancient church father, said the celebration of the Lord's Supper is the commemoration of the greatest blessing the world ever enjoyed. He's reminding us that the Lord's Supper points to not only the death of Jesus Christ, but also the resurrection and return of Jesus Christ. It's a commemoration of our life in Jesus Christ. And we have life, first and foremost, in His death. You see, there's great significance that the Lord's Supper is instituted at the table with the Passover lamb. 
upon it. See again, the lamb was said to be of one years old with no blemishes. It was the symbol of perfection. And so the Passover lamb becomes a symbol of the Messiah who would wash away all sins. Remember that as Jesus is walking down the banks of the Jordan, the John the Baptist cries out of Him, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Likewise, Peter in his epistle says, You were washed with the precious blood of Christ like that of a lamb without blemish or that without spot. And so as Jesus is holding up the bread that Good Friday, and there's the carcass of the lamb sitting upon the table, and He says, This is My body which is given for you He's saying, I am the Lamb and the bread. That the Passover pointed to Him and the supper points back to Him. That He is the Lamb who was slaughtered and whose blood was poured out. And He is also the bread that is broken in half. These signs point to what will happen to Him upon the cross. The crucifixion of our King, our Lord, our perfect Lamb. This led one of the ancient church fathers to say every time he did the Lord's Supper liturgy, as he broke the bread, he would cry out, Christ, our love is crucified. Notice in verses 19 and 20, who the sign is for. It says, Jesus says, it's for you. The catechism contextualizes Jesus' words here. If you look at question 75, and it says, His body was offered and broken for me. His blood poured out for me. That is that He went to the cross. He bore the crown of thorns. He was nailed through His hands and His feet. He was forsaken by God for me. He bore the punishment for me. That the Lord's Supper is a proclamation of His death. We accept with a believing heart the entire suffering and death with Christ. It's the uniting of us and the death of Jesus. But it cannot end there. That was the problem with the Passover. It ended in the death, in the shedding of blood. But the Catechism says we need to go farther than the death of Christ to union and life with Jesus. It's the sign of His life. Our new life in Him. That's why Christ calls it in verse 20, the new covenant in My blood. That the sacrifice He makes supersedes. It overwhelms. It fulfills the old covenant because it doesn't end in death. Jesus rose from the grave. And so when we take the Lord's Supper, we're not eating the spiritual flesh of a dead Savior. We're not eating the flesh of a dead lamb. 
but we're eating the spiritual body and spiritual blood of He who lives and He who reigns in heaven. Now, I'm no biologist, but from what I understand, in the act of eating, when we take and eat something and consume it, and it becomes digested, it becomes part of us. It becomes part of who we are. Its qualities are added to our being. It nourishes and strengthens us in this way. The Catechism says, so it is with Jesus. That we become more and more united to Him when by faith we consume His body. He becomes part of us. We become united with Him. We become nourished and strengthened in the spiritual food. And so that everything Jesus did becomes a part of me. That in His living, I am made righteous. In His dying, I am forgiven. In His resurrection, I am made alive. In His ascension, the gates of heaven are open to me. I am seated with Christ, says Paul, even right now. Because I'm united with Him not only in His death. I'm united with Him also in His life. In this way, says the Catechism, we're given, we receive the forgiveness of sins and eternal life. Life, congregation. The sign points us to His death, yes, but how we are made alive. One application that I often want to make and will probably continue to make throughout the years as we go through these Lord's Days again and again, is especially for our young people who are here those who have not yet professed faith. Sometimes we think, well, if I've received the sacrament of baptism, why can I not receive the sacrament of the Lord's Supper? And it can be offensive sometimes for young people. I've heard in my catechism classes or elsewhere when they say, why can I not receive it? Why must I profess faith first? Well, I like the way my professor Cornelis Venema said it. He says, faith is the only road between the font and the table. Notice how often the catechism says we need to have a lively faith when we come to the table. Because it's not imparting faith like baptism does. It's strengthening faith already present. But the application I want to give to our young people this evening is that even when the cup passes you by or the bread passes you by, don't let Jesus Christ pass you by. If He begins to work in your heart by the Holy, work of the Holy Spirit to desire to take the bread and to drink the wine, praise be to God. 
what you're desiring is to participate in Christ. Foster that love. Foster that desire. Let it grow within you. And talk to your elder. Talk to me, your pastor. And let's pray that the Lord would continue to work in your heart for that thing. To become a professed member and to take that communion. That's the Spirit working in your heart to desire to be united with Christ in His death and in His life. See, the supper is a sign which points us to His death and to His life. But it also points us to one more thing, says the Apostle Paul. If you flip to question 77, there's one thing that is uniquely Pauline, recorded in 1 Corinthians when he uh, recites the institution of the Lord's Supper. There's something unique about what the Apostle Paul says here. You see in Luke 22 and in Matthew, Mark and John, they all record the institution of the Lord's Supper. But it's the Apostle Paul who adds this. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. My final thoughts this evening revolve around that teaching. It has a memorial role at the supper, but it also has a role in which it points us to the future. Paul says we need to look forward to something. The coming again of Jesus. We are proclaiming His death, His life, and also looking forward to the time when He will come again. One of the challenges in Luke chapter 22, I'm not sure if you have know what this means, but it was something that always puzzled me, is verses 15 through 18. When the hour of the supper came, he reclined at the table and the apostles with him, and he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer, for I tell you I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, take this and divide it among yourselves, For I tell you that from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. That's always puzzled me. What does that mean? Well, I think what Jesus is speaking of is what Paul is speaking of here in 1 Corinthians. The return of Christ. But to understand Christ's words, we need to know something of the Passover tradition. You see, scholars have understood that the Passover meal would have been served in four courses. And that part of what Peter and John had to collect for Jesus' final Passover would have been these four courses, which included four distinct cups of wine. Four distinct cups of wine. And each of these four cups represented something different in the life of Israel. They represented four different things. And these four cups became so important, the rabbis taught, that even the poorest man in Israel needed to drink them even if it meant selling all of his possessions. The rabbis say. And so the meal would have went something like this. 
they would have a prayer of thanksgiving. And then they would drink the first cup of wine. Then they would eat the bitter herbs, reminding them of their slavery in Egypt. Then they would sing psalms 113 and 14. They would have their ceremonial washings. Then they would drink the second cup of wine. Then they would carve up the lamb. And they would eat of it. And then a young boy would typically ask, Father, what do you mean by this practice? And he would explain to them about their exodus from Egypt. Then they would drink the third cup of wine, which was known as the cup of redemption. And once the meal was consumed and the teaching was concluded, they would sing the final three psalms, Psalms 115-18, through and they would drink the fourth cup of wine, which was the the cup of celebration and praise. And the meal would be over. So what cup is Jesus partaking of in verses 15-18? through I think what Luke is describing here is that Jesus partakes of the bitter herbs. He eats the slain lamb. And He drinks the cup of redemption, the third cup. But He says, I will not drink the cup of celebration. I will not drink the cup of celebration and praise. Because I must first go to the cross for your redemption. He must first be the very Lamb as it sits upon the table. He must first taste the bitter herbs as the wrath of God is poured out upon Him. He'll say in the next chapter, Luke 23, Father, if it be Your will, take this cup from me. He needs to accomplish our redemption before He can celebrate with His disciples. But notice that Jesus doesn't say He will never take of that cup with them. But He says, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. When did the kingdom of God come, congregation? When Jesus went to the cross, He laid down His life. He was resurrected from the dead. He ascended into heaven. And He poured out His Spirit. Acts 2. They pour out the Spirit of God upon the church. And at the end of the chapter, it says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, prayer, fellowship, and the breaking of bread. When we come to the communion table, we participate in the fourth cup of celebration with Christ. That He has accomplished the work of redemption. And we look forward to the banquet supper of the Lamb. And when the kingdom of God comes in its fullest manifestation, there will be no bitter herbs. There will be no cups of wrath. But in the presence of Christ, 
will be the cup of celebration again and again and again. We proclaim His death, but it is also the proclamation of our union and life with Christ. The sign given is the sign of complete redemption. All four cups in one. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we give You thanks for the sacrament of the Lord's Supper, which is to us the sacrament of life. For Lord, You have always been a God of signs. You have given signs to, you, to Your people of old throughout all generations. Signs that pointed to their need of a Savior. This sign points us to the fullness of the Savior. That He truly has come. That He has shed His blood. But that now He lives in heaven for us. And that as we partake of the broken bread and the cup of wine, that we are partaking of the risen, living Savior. What a joy it is for us to know that we have union with Him in death, but we also have union with Him in life. Father, I also pray for, again, our young people who are here today. Prick their hearts this evening as they for years and years have sat in the pew as the Lord's Supper has been observed. Father, birth in their hearts that desire to partake. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.